Hello, hello, Sam Ekstrom in on the Purple Insider Podcast. Matthew Collar out at a wedding. Welcome to today's show. Hot routes today with Paul Hodawanik. He asks the hard questions I answer. And we'll also play the Dalvin Cook interview from earlier today. He did a press conference upon his return from the reserve COVID-19 list. And that's where we begin with just a couple headlines before jumping into hot routes. You know how we write the rundown at purpleinsider.substack.com. We're going to do a verbal version of that to get started, writing solo here for just a few minutes to get you caught up to speed. A lot of transactions today. Uh, The Vikings were busy on their transaction wire. They have brought Dalvin Cook back off the COVID list. They have put Patrick Jones, the defensive end, on the COVID list. They have brought Ty Smith, the practice squad corner, off the COVID list. And they've got Adam Thielen going to IR. So the big one's there. Thielen to IR, Dalvin Cook off the COVID list. And that's because the NFL relaxed the protocols, right? So the NFL says after five days, vaccinated or unvaccinated, if you are asymptomatic and uh, you pass the test and you haven't had a fever in 24 hours, couple other bullet points there as well. You can come back. So Dalvin Cook returns for the full week of practice, and we'll hear from him later on in the press conference that he conducted. Uh, But I want to focus more on Adam Thielen going to IR and some of the splits of pre-injury, post-injury Adam Thielen. So the impact that Adam Thielen had on Kirk Cousins, I think it is not to be understated. Pre-injury Kirk Cousins' passer rating was 101.5. Post-injury, 89.7. And it's been a noticeable hit that the offense has taken. The red zone offense has been worse. Down to 54% the last three games. It was 2 of 5 against the Rams. Uh, Cousins' accuracy has gone down without Thielen. From 67% before to 62% after the injury. Uh, And I think that that's something. I don't think it's everything, but I think it's something. Because Adam Thielen's precision in the red zone particularly is amazing. His precision on third downs. And Justin Jefferson can carry the passing game, sure. But, but Adam Thielen is still a weapon. He, led, he leads the team in touchdowns with 10. Um, and he has a 130.9 passer rating when targeted. That's all very, very good. So with Thielen... Going to the IR now, you are basically saying, all right, we're going to go six games without Adam Thielen, for, with the exception of a couple of uh, drives in the Rams game and one drive in the Lions game. It's a long stretch, and I think this offense is paying the price just a little bit for that. Thielen gets surgery, and he's pretty much done for the year. So Dalvin Cook returns. We mentioned that. Heads to the scene of the crime where uh, he scored four touchdowns last year at Lambeau Field. That should be big for the Vikings to get back. And and personally, from my observation this year, I think it's never been more clear that Dalvin Cook is not Alexander Madison. I think we, we often want to interchange them. And I'm the first to say that running backs aren't that significant from a team-building standpoint. But when you're comparing them to their peers, I still think that there is... A difference, And I think when you stack up Cook against Madison, I think the vision is totally different. I mean, there was a run in the Sunday game, too, where Madison, you know, misses a cutback lane 
kicks it further outside and loses yardage. Um, Cook doesn't do that. He's so decisive. He's more uh, speedy in a straight line. He's speedier laterally. And I think he can get those tough yards just about as easily as Madison. His hurdling ratio is not as good. I will give Madison that one. But I think you prefer Dalvin Cook to Alexander Madison. And uh, this could be a battle of running games on a zero-degree night in Green Bay. Kirk Cousins said he's going to have the hand warmers. He's going to have the heater on the sideline. And uh, I'm intrigued to see how he responds to this. Because for living in Minnesota for four years, Cousins has not really had a game like this. I mean, last year they were in warm weather Tampa in December. They were playing in domed Detroit. Didn't really have this at all. I mean, the coldest he's had, you know, New England in early December is about 30. Chicago is about 30 last week. Seattle's been a little bit chilly a couple times, but nothing like this. A couple other notes. Dakota Dozier spoke today, first time since being hospitalized with COVID-19. And I think when, when you see NFL players routinely coming off the list all across the league without missing a beat, you forget that some cases are more severe. And Dozier says that uh, he had a three-day stay in the hospital as a result of COVID pneumonia. He uh, had a pulse oximeter that was his daughter's, and it was an 82. Now, I don't necessarily know what, what you're looking for with that device, but he said that 90 is the target line. If you're below 90, you're in trouble. And, and he figured out that at 82, he was in some jeopardy, so he went to the hospital, got some medicine, said he started feeling better right away that sort of alleviated his fears and then spent three days there and then needed weeks to get back to full fitness and uh and he could play in this green bay game because oliudo is on the covid list and because of those relaxed protocols oliudo could return by sunday but we're not sure yet dakota dozier might be next in line i get the sense this this coaching staff would trust a veteran more than Wyatt Davis, even though the veteran is Dakota Dozier, who had one of the worst guard seasons of all time last year. I still think he might get preference. They obviously activated him to the active roster for a reason. Um, and we'll get into to the John Madden stuff a little bit with Paul in Hot Routes, but Mike Zimmer did have some nice things to say about John Madden. He's actually part of the John Madden subcommittee, and that's that's the group of eight coaches that gets together and and isn't really sanctioned by the league. It's just sort of an unofficial group that talks about rule changes and pieces of the game they like and don't like. And Jod Madden was a huge influence on that. And he was on some of those calls, even at his old age, staying involved in the game. And Mike Zimmer was disappointed to hear that the NFL lost an absolute legend at the age of 85. And the same with Kirk Cousins, who spoke glowingly, kind of hitting on the three phases of Madden, the broadcaster, the coach, and the video game Maven. And, you know, I knew him as the broadcaster, first and foremost. Uh, did play the game sparingly. Not much of a gamer in general. The broadcasting is what really compelled me. I'll get into that more with Paul. Um, and, you know, the, the generation above me probably watched him beat the Vikings in the Super Bowl with the Raiders. He, he spanned generations. And uh, I think there's probably a vast appreciation for one of those three phases, for everybody who's even loosely affiliated with football, you probably know what the Madden name means, and uh, you probably know when you hear someone go, boom, who they're referring to. Hot Routes, Paul Hodewanek. There's news in the NFL today, and 
it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rob Style, with our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras, neck rolls, and grass-stained jerseys. Hello and welcome back to Hot Routes. I'm your host, as always, Paul Hodwanek, and with me today is Purple Insider's own Sam Ekstrom. Sam, how are we doing today? Today we're we're pouring one out, pouring out my morning coffee to John Madden. May uh-huh. he rest in peace. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been consuming John Madden content uh, on Twitter for the last 12 hours or so, and it's been a lot of fun to, to reminisce. So I don't know if that was part of your rundown of questions, but I feel like we should take a minute just to like discuss the John Madden impact. Was he like, I mean, we're, we're both maybe a, a little young for Madden. Now, like I grew up with him in the nineties and then obviously the, the two thousands. Um, what was sort of your Madden exposure, Paul? Strictly. I'm, I'm 22. So my, my Madden exposure was pretty much strictly the video game. Okay. Um, hearing his calls on that and then just hearing his historic calls, um, you know, going through history, but never really in my life as a coach or really as a broadcaster at any point. So I was someone who was ready to get the Madden game every year and was constantly playing it. And for a while it was his voice on there and then it switched. Um, But that, that's how I grew up with John Madden. And it's been said um, all over Twitter, if you've been on it, but it's cool that we all have our own, the different generations have their own connectivity to Madden and it all kind of comes together to being one of this, one of the NFL's most important, most impactful people uh, in general, because for me, I don't remember much as what he did for a coach, but I'm sure um, many of our uh, people that are watching do. So yeah, for me, it was strictly Madden and I was always Madden, the football game uh, video game. And I was always super excited to get that game um and hopefully it i mean his name stays on it uh for the rest of time yeah madden for whatever reason madden 2001 was the game that stuck with me the most with eddie george on the cover and i remember i would just run the toss sweep over and over and there was like a glitchy a glitch in the game where like the edge never really set on defense and you were just able to get outside every time and like get 15 yards it was awesome um, yeah, I think corner on, strike, corner strike. The the play was always one that I could go to in a, in a <laughs> fourth and twenty two. Corner strike's going to get me the yards. Like that was just always the, the go to. Everybody had their their sort of pet play that just worked every time. It was great. And on those early games, you could find sort of the the glitches in the system. Um, but I would play it on traditional computer. But at that time, I was always thrown off by Summerall. Like Madden and Summerall were the big the big pairing, right? And people disagree with me on this. I was not a Summerall guy, and I still am not a Summerall guy. I think it, it, it's great, like, to say nothing as a play-by-play guy. Like, good for you. You're a minimalist. I get it. But it's not for my taste. Like, say something. Have some personality. You don't have to have 0% and let John Madden have all of it. You're allowed to have some give and take, Pat. Um, so there's my Pat Summerall slander for the day. I think may he rest in peace as well. I don't think Pat Summerall's with us either. Um, but John Madden, I always appreciated. I was part of like his entire um, run with Al Michaels, you know, in 2000. And um, I think he was done after the 2009 or 10 Super Bowl um, with the Cardinals and Steelers. And I remember him calling James Harrison's 100-yard uh, interception return. So he was still doing it at a high level not that long ago. And the fact that his documentary aired, Sunday 
and he watched it and he was part of it. And then, and then we don't know the cause of this passing, but uh, for it to happen so suddenly and so soon after is just wild. Yeah. And I haven't gotten a chance to watch the documentary. Uh, hope too soon. I uh, hope everyone else gets a chance, but yeah, great that he was able to see that and see the impact that he had on so many people. Uh, let's jump into our hot routes questions. Um, the first one I think is quick, but uh, and not quite in our hot route style, but wanted to get it because it's Packers week and it is the last uh, time that Aaron Rodgers potentially could be playing against the Vikings as a member of the Green Bay Packers. And so I want to know from you, do you think it is? Is this the last time Aaron Rodgers plays as a Packer against the Vikings? Hmm. I I kind of get the sense that it's not. Um and I, I think that the writing was going to be on the wall for this. Like the second that he decided to come back and give that extra year of opportunity for Green Bay to sort of make right. Um, everything you hear is that it's all kumbaya. And you know why? It's because they're winning. Um, it's because they are 12 and three and they're going to be the top seed and, and everything's good. Like winning does really salve all of the wounds. And maybe some understandings have have been reached. And maybe Aaron Rodgers, amidst all the scrutiny, isn't really interested in, in leaving this community that loves him and going to a media market that might be a little more fierce. Maybe that doesn't all seem as appealing as it once did now that there's maybe some more negative things to talk about with Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I could see a reunion occurring. Um, or, you know, what else I could see, Paul, is a retirement. I mean, the, everything with Rodgers this year has sort of felt, I don't, I don't know, a, a little bit like a, a last hurrah with the way that he does post-game interviews and he sort of has talked romantically about the game and you know, he passed Brett Favre's record. Like, he's reached a lot of milestones. And particularly if they go out on top with a Super Bowl, which is obviously on the table with the path going through Lambeau Field to reach it probably – I could see him riding off in the sunset. He's got this, um, I can't remember if it's wife or fiance at this point, um, wants to have kids, I believe. Like I, I could see Rodgers, who kind of goes by the beat of his own drum, hanging it up and calling it good because I think he has other interests. And I, I think that maybe he just doesn't want to start over. His body's hurting right now. It might feel pretty good to just walk away on top. So I, I – if he's not playing the Vikings again, I think it might be because he's not playing football anymore. All right. Wow. All right. I wasn't expecting that to be hot at the start. And then we got there. Um, yeah, I think for me, I, I mean, before the season it was such a foregone conclusion that if he stayed this year, he was gone the next year. That seemed to be kind of their agreement. Uh, you know, we don't know if that has changed at this point, but yeah, I, I'm also with you in that. I, I can't say it's going to be his last one until we, we see him change jerseys. And maybe that's, me growing up in Minnesota, just in my entire life, the Green Bay Packers having an elite quarterback and not quite knowing what it would look like if they didn't and what the Packers would look like if they didn't. But something tells me, like, I'm not going to count him out playing. And honestly, if the Vikings win this game, um, as much as we have been down in the dumps about their playoff chances, if they win this game, uh, there's a chance that could be a 2-7 matchup in the playoffs. It might not even be the last time they play this season if they get this win because then obviously Green Bay loses. They lose a little bit in the first round by hunt. I think they might even have to lose in week 18 to to lose that as well. But I mean it's a possibility there. Um so it couldn't it might not even be the last time they played this season depending on how Sunday goes. But yes, I 
something tells me this isn't his last his last time here uh, or his last time against the Vikings. And I think that feeling is just never going to go away until it's actually it's actually he's actually on the Broncos or he's retired or he's on the Steelers or something else like that. Um, but that that's just how I feel. Yeah, I think we can safely assume, though, that he's not going to make the same mistake as Favre. He's not going to endanger his legacy there and come to the division rival Vikings. I think Vikings fans were hopeful there for a minute that he was so disenchanted that he was going to make the jump a la Favre. But I, I get the feeling that that's not going to happen. All right, let's move on. I want to play a little. I want to rank some things and I want to rank the officials because it has been a controversial season, a few weeks, last week, um, every week, it seems like officials are making some decision in the Vikings game or in any other game, looking at that Green Bay Cleveland game, uh, specifically on Christmas, or some of the calls that were made in the uh, Vikings Bears game, but the officials have not been good. And it has been a large talking point. And so I wanted to put in perspective, like, I think every sport complains about officiating. And so I want to take this time to kind of stack up the NFL officials against the other major sport officials. Just we can see if are they the worst of the worst or is this just, you know, it's the time of the year where football's on. And so we're going to complain about those officials. But now once they end and the NBA playoffs come, then we're complaining about those officials. Like how bad is it? Let's let's rank the top, you know, the, the four major sport officials. Yeah. OK, so I, I did give this a lot of thought. I think hockey is the best. Um, I think hockey officials, I mean, they stay out of the way. They're, they're rarely the story. Um, you know, every goal is reviewed. So it's not like points are getting put on the board fraudulently. I think the, the biggest gripe for hockey officials is when power plays are awarded when they shouldn't be or vice versa. But you know what? Even if you give a team a power play they don't deserve, there's still like a one in four chance they convert. Um, I, I just think that there's less to screw up. Um, for hockey officials. And honestly, you have to look too at like what the review system is for the sport, because if their mistakes can be challenged or overturned fairly easily, then I, I think that mitigates some of the, the issues too. And a lot of stuff now in hockey is reviewable. Um, every sport is trending that way. And I think that's the case in basketball as well. Basketball is, is crazy because the whistle blows, I think more than any other sport. And for that reason, it almost dilutes the officials impact during like the major, like the meat of the game. But then you get to the final two minutes, right? That's when the, like the NBA releases, releases the officials report. And sometimes it's pretty ugly. Um, the, the fans are probably most vociferous in like hating on basketball officials. And yet I still feel like they do a pretty good job. I think that most of their mistakes can be overturned or reviewed in the, in the critical parts of the game. Um, and they've got a really tough job. They also have like, they can still see the whole floor. Typically they're not missing calls. Um, and a lot of the stuff they do miss can be fixed. So now we're down to baseball and football, which I think are the two worst. I think baseball home plate umpires are atrocious. I think they need a better system. <laughs> I think robot umps for, for the strike zone would be great. But in, in yet at the end of the day, baseball hitters still get, four at bats a game they still get three strikes so if they miss a strike call in an at bat which happens all the time the hitters still have a chance right there's 27 outs in the game if one out is recorded at a, at a bad time you still have 26 more outs um i think football is the worst 
because it is literally impossible for them to see all 22 players. Um, and every play just carries more meaning. Like if you are given a team a, a bad PI call for 40 yards, it just, it like swings the win probability more than any other sport, I think. And then you run into these weird, you know, wrinkles in the, in the rule book where like Cooper cup fumbles the ball and forward progress is ruled and you can't review it all of a sudden. That's weird. Um, it seems to be harder sometimes to correct, you know, you can't really correct penalties in the NFL because it's just not a, it's not reviewable plays. Um, the officials have a lot of power and that power swings the game drastically. Um, so for that reason, I think that that NFL officiating for its inconsistency, constantly moving the bar and changing the goalposts, I think that's the worst officiated sport. All right. I had a very similar list, but I'm going to say something that probably yeah, you definitely don't agree with. I don't think the MLB officiating or umpiring is as bad as the NBA. So I have NHL, then MLB, then um, NBA, then NFL. And then I just threw in college football last because they're even worse than the pros uh, for me. Um, but my thing with the MLB is <clears throat> I, I it, it goes back to what you said in that one strike isn't going to affect the game as much as a pass interference call is going to. And maybe it's sympathy for um, seeing the ball go hundred miles an hour path, like right into that strike zone. Like it can be hard. I think that one um, MLB umpiring has to be, especially behind home plate has to be one of the toughest jobs of an umpire that you can, that you can have um, as much as the catchers are trying to fool you and how they're moving the, the ball around and, in general, pretty much every other call is either reviewable or they get right. Um, it's really just those strike calls, but you're not getting really any um, any more any problems with uh, he was safe at first, he's not safe at first. Like they have the technology to solve that. They have the technology to solve pretty much every other um, scenario except the home plate um, umpiring. And so maybe it's a sympathy I have for it as a former like fifth grade uh, umpire and not even being able to accurately uh, have a strike zone for like fifth graders throwing like 40 miles an hour and me struggling to do that. So maybe it's my own sympathy and bias coming in, but I'm going to put the MLB a little bit higher. And I think robot umpires, at least for home would maybe bump them up all the way to the top if they can get that solved. Uh, but that is definitely the, the one bad thing, but I think it rises above some of the NBA calls that we I've been seeing, especially if you're a Timberwolves fan and you've seen some of the recent calls, maybe that's a, more of my bias coming out, but there have been some tough calls uh, on the Timberwolves this season. So that I'm moving MLB up just a little bit. Um, let's move yeah. on to our third hot route. And I want to talk about, I want to compare NBA to NFL again in this way, because if you've been watching the NBA, you've been seeing, I mean, the Timberwolves just signed Greg Monroe. Random people are being pulled that you have not heard of for three or four years to come in and play games because that league is insistent on playing and they are insistent on no matter how many guys you have out, we're pretty much going to suit up. And so I want to know for you, if the NFL got to that point where, and we're getting there, but if they're just signing random people off the street, uh, which like three players would you like to see come out that isn't currently in football? They're not even playing in football. Like Greg Monroe is either playing in China or not even like playing anymore. Like, we're bringing people outside of the sport that are have been out of it for a year or two. Who are you bringing back in for this COVID emergency time? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people probably uh, would have said Kyle Sloter for the Vikings. And, oh, look, they signed him He's yesterday. Back. 
he's got a cult following, right? I think that uh, that probably would have been on many lists. Uh, you know, I hear Brett Favre has all these money problems. I, I think he probably could use a, a good game check or two to help him out uh, down there in Mississippi. So uh, I think I think Brett's still got some some bullets to fire. I think he's still got, uh, you know, the old gunslinger can dust off the old shoulder. Um, and I see pictures of John Randall too, man. He looks like he could still kind of you know, get, get off the ball and, and get around some of those mediocre guards in the league. I think that Randall could be a nice veteran pickup at this stage in his life. Um, these are all completely unrealistic. I think that's part of the fun. Yes. I love Percy Harvin too. I mean, Percy Harvin is not that old yet. He's still like his football playing age. Um, I would take Percy back in a heartbeat. I think I want to see <clears throat> Jared Allen is kind of switched to curling now, you know, that's his thing. Mm-hmm. But if we could bring him back for a little bit, let him get going outside on the edge, might not be the worst thing for the Vikings. That's where I went. And then everyone's favorite reoccurring Viking that has popped up in the Mike Zimmer era. Where's Terrence Newman? Why can't he just do it again? Yeah. Um, I mean, the corners that the Vikings, I mean, get rid of Breland. Why not just bring Terrence Newman in? Can't be that much worse. And yeah, I mean, those are two former Vikings. I'd love them sign right now. And then you got the obvious ones, obviously, like Philip Rivers might be signing with the Colts by the time you listen to this. Maybe he is uh, now that Carson Wentz is out for a week with an injury. Uh, it's funny that we, Drew Brees could be in this hypothetical, but he turned it down already. He said, uh, I'm, I'm good golfing. I'm good being on NBC. I do not need to be doing this. Uh, that's kind of how I hope most uh, former NFL players, especially if they were top level, would decide to do this. Like Marshawn Lynch, you don't need to come back and play again. Just like let your legacy be your legacy, Drew Brees. Let your legacy be your legacy. I don't need you to come back uh, for one game to be uh, a fill-in. Same thing with Jared Allen. But, yeah, I think my top two are Jared Allen and Terrence Newman. Bring him back. Bring the Vikings some fortification here uh, in these last two games. Give them a last drive. Zimmer's going to go out. Go out with your guys. Go out with, go out with Newman. Uh, give him a chance. Let him let him run. So that's that's what I would say there. Let me, let me hit you with a, a just knee-jerk reaction because you bring up Allen, beloved figure. Um, Vikings have had a lot of big defensive ends that have kind of had that popularity. So I'm thinking like modern defensive ends. Uh, let's go Allen, Robison, Hunter, and yep. Griffin. What rank the popularity of those four? Oh, I think because of the where the Vikings were, like the big games they played in with Jared Allen and kind of the reputation around that defensive line when Allen and Robin Robinson were in there, those feel like one, two to me. And then Everson versus Daniil. I mean, it's, it's weird to put Daniil fourth in terms of how much people care about them um, because he's probably the best one out of them. But I think yeah. Everson just has such a connection to this fan base. Even when he's on the lions, he's tweeting about the Vikings, everyone's wanting him to come back. And then I think, you know, part of it is they connect with him and they connect with the struggles that he's gone through. And I think he's really become a fabric of the Vikings organization. And so Everson would slot in for three. And then Daniil Hunter weirdly, weirdly is four. Yeah, I would go Allen, Griffin, Robison, Hunter. But yeah, Hunter, Hunter's just like the the cold-blooded assassin who really has no emotion. He doesn't resonate. He's not quite as marketable, maybe, because he doesn't want to be. He's just not that personality even yeah. though he's a probably number one in the list of amazing football players. All right. We're running a little long, but we're going to do one more here. I want to know 
biggest thorns in the Vikings' sides? I was hoping to do this question last week. We didn't get a chance to, but after the Akeem Hicks game again against the Vikings, just always a big thorn in the Vikings' side. And then this week, the Vikings are kind of always or have always been a thorn in Matt Stafford's side. So we saw that again this past week. He would, did not look good. And if you stack Stafford's performances up over his career against the NFC North teams, obviously the teams that he played the most uh, other than this year, the Vikings are easily, easily, easily the um, team he has performed worst against. So kind of taking that back, but then pushing it back to onto the Vikings, these Akeem Hicks type players. I want to know, maybe it's not like, maybe we're not going to like an Aaron Rodgers level because he is a thorn in everyone's side. He is just mm-hmm. the roadblock. But if we're just talking about annoyances, people that you just didn't like to see, people you were worried about, maybe not wrecking the game, but just always consistently seemed to to get the Vikings number. What 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 are some of those names? What are like your top two or three? Yeah, you know, maybe you can help me out with this one, Paul, because it, it, it is a little tougher in football when you do only play three teams every year. It's not like baseball where, you know, you think, oh, A-Rod, you know, they played him every year or Jose Batista there for a while where he just murdered him or Nelson Cruz when he wasn't on the Twins. Uh, there's those players that you every year they come across and they they destroy you. It's not let, not that way in football. You might only see some some really good players once every four years. Um, Alshon Jeffrey weirdly came to mind. There was a stretch there in the early 2010s where he was totally dominant against those porous Vikings defenses with Jay Cutler. And in that same time frame, Calvin Johnson was also um, crazy good. And I could probably throw Greg Jennings in, in that, that mix as well. Like basically any receiver who played the Vikings from about, I don't know, 2000 to 2015, there were some bad defenses in there with some good ones as well. But uh, there were a lot of porous defenses that kind of got victimized by the NFC North's top receivers more abstractly. What about winless Lions teams? <laughs> they always give the Vikings problems. I mean, they've now beaten them twice in, 20, in a 20 year span, and they almost beat them twice more in their actual winless season in 2008. Not only once did the Vikings almost lose to them, but twice that season, Minnesota flirted with disaster against the 0 16 Lions. I mean, how many teams get that many opportunities to lose against wretched opponents uh, that have no wins? The Vikings seem to make it an adventure every time. Yeah, no, that's a really good one. I stuck with players, and like you, I stuck with uh, NFC North players just because those are the guys that they're going to play uh, very often. I Akeem Hicks has to be mentioned, although we mentioned it off the top, but in 10 games against the Vikings, he has eight and a half sacks. Uh, eight and a half sacks for Akeem Hicks in 10 games. Is for a defensive tackle. For a defensive tackle, 14 tackles for loss. So absolutely uh, owns that thorn in the side and could even rise above that. <clears throat> Some interesting ones, just from my childhood, I remember as a Vikings fan, always fearing Devin Hester. Four of his 18 return touchdowns were against the Vikings. So that's, yep. you know, basically 25% of his touchdowns came against the Vikings, which is obviously not, not um, doesn't line up with the amount of times he played the Vikings. That is much more than any other team. <clears throat> and then another one, just a sneaky one, Marvin Jones uh, has been weirdly... 10 games against the Vikings, 50 catches, nine touchdowns in 10 games against the Vikings. So consistent threat. Uh, didn't really come to mind off the top of my head. I had to do some research and was just looking at some of the common Vikings, you know, weapons that they were going against. 
and Marvin Jones popped up, um, basically averaging 75 yards a game and a touchdown. Um, not game-breaking numbers, but certainly we're talking about Thorns was always a red zone threat and just seemed to be one the Vikings couldn't figure out. But yeah, Akeem Hicks has to be up top, and I think Hester's a good another good one. Hester's a great one. I mean, there was a, a probably a three-year stretch where I think he had a return every year. Yeah. And there was one notable game where P, it was Peterson's rookie year. He had a, a huge monster performance, and the Vikings did end up winning. But uh, the Bears had a return touchdown from Hester, and then they hit Hester on a deep go route with like one minute left um, to tie the game. And it appeared like it was going to go to overtime, but then Peterson – went back for the kickoff return. He took it into bears territory. And I think uh, he was either Longwell or Edinger. We'll go with, go with, uh, I think it was Paul Edinger at the time. I think he walked him off with a field goal. Could be wrong on who that was. Someone will correct you. Yeah. Someone that, yeah, I'm changing my mind. It was Longwell. (laughs) It was Longwell. I think, and the Vikings won that game. Yeah, no great ones. And again, of course, Hester has to hurt him, hurt the Vikings with his receiving, not just his, return so he was hurting even in one of the biggest moments they let the kick returner do something really really good on the offensive side of the ball i think that's that's symbolic of a vikings thorn so sam thank you so much uh vikings going up against probably their biggest thorn ever aaron Rodgers um coming up this sunday sam matt will have coverage of that uh sam thank you for your time You can check out all of our YouTube content, including all the Hot Routes shows on YouTube. Subscribe to the Purple Insider channel for free for multiple weekly shows and weekly videos on the Vikings. We also heard from Dalvin Cook today. He spoke to reporters over Zoom. Upon returning from the COVID list, he got into uh, the cold that he'll be facing at Lambeau Field this weekend. His latest thoughts or lack thereof on his vaccination status and what it's like to not have Adam Thielen on the field as he returns. Just talk about how frustrating it was to go on the COVID list and miss the game last week. And then uh, how glad are you that they changed the protocols yesterday so you're probably back about three days earlier or so. Yeah, it's frustrating um, to be put on that list, especially how important these games are during the season. So. You know, I wanted to be out there with my team. I wanted to compete with those guys. You know, those guys know how much it means to me to be out there to help them to contribute to a win. So that was frustrating just watching it on the TV. Um, I wish this rule would have came out next, I mean, last week. So I would have been back kind of earlier, but it didn't. And, you know, I'm just glad everything you know, worked out that I'm back this week. Dave Campbell, then Andrew. Dalvin, I'm just wondering if there's been extra just tension, I guess, around the building with with the cases, you know, being so high across the league and so many key players uh, going out. It, it, do you just sense um, any extra caution on everybody's part? Yeah, we're doing the right the right things, taking the right steps to to not have you know the close contact, to not have more guys outside the building if they don't have. The COVID, so you know we stand six feet apart. You know we in larger meeting rooms and keeping our masks on, standing, stand away from each other. Basically, you know, got to talk from a distance nowadays, stuff like that. So, you know, just doing the right stuff so our team is in the right position. You know, come come these next two weeks. And for you, is 
Is vaccination something you're still considering? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to talk about it, you know, right now. But you know, everybody got their own thing they do, and you know, just right now, I wouldn't want to talk about it. Hey, Dalvin, just to clarify, because these rules are changing so much, you don't have to test anymore, right? Because you, you tested positive, and then I think the rules were if a player tested positive, they don't have to test anymore moving forward for a certain period of time. I got to look into that. If, that. if I don't got to test, that's big. That is important for my sleep in the morning. <sighs> I might be wrong then if you didn't know. I, I, I no, because I, did, I didn't test when I got back, so that's probably real. So it's like, that's probably true. That's probably true. Okay, gotcha. Just wanted to clarify. Appreciate that. that. I'll check on that. I got to check on that. We'll go to Ben. Yeah, Dalvin, uh, congrats on the extra sleep, I guess. But uh, with the game this week going into Green Bay, you had the big day there last year with the four touchdowns at Lambeau. Uh, what is your mindset going into this one, just knowing what's at stake and, and the performances you've had against the Packers the last couple of years? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. You know, we every time we go into Lambo, we know it's going to be a – well, last year they didn't have no fans, but we know it's going to be a hostile environment. So prepping these young guys, getting everybody else ready who haven't been to Lambo to, to, to get their minds right for a hostile crowd. But, you know, our mindset is right now we got to win all the rest of these games. You know, no matter how we win it, no matter how we do it, we got to go win. Chris? Hey, I've got two things, if you don't mind, Dalvin. I know I asked you a month or two ago about the 2017 draft class. Uh, you'll be going against, on the other side, Aaron Jones. What do you kind of think of his game? And uh, is he kind of a member of that fraternity, too, since he's in that 2017 draft class and has done quite well? He definitely one of those standouts that, that wasn't expected to see expectations. And, you know, he went later on in the draft. You know, I think Green Bay definitely got a steal with, with AJ. You know, just playing him over these last couple of years, we have grown to, you know, have a friendship. And, you know, that twenty seventeen class, like I said, in my eyes was one of the best. So, you know, AJ is definitely one of those guys that put the class up there with the best. And then I also wanted to ask you the temperature's probably gonna be in single digits, maybe even close to zero on uh, Sunday night in Green Bay. What are the challenges? I mean, you guys live in a cold weather climate, but you play indoors. What What are the challenges of playing in those kind of temperatures? And what do you think of what they're going to be like on Sunday? Yeah, I live here, but I be in the house. Like, I be inside. Like, I don't be outside. Unless Jim tell us to go outside. But um, with me, with this cold thing, like, I just love playing football. And once the pads and the cleats come on and everything else, it's not cold no more. It's not. It's not none of that. Now, I don't know how this single-digit weather about to be, but we about to find out. And like, for me, it's like another milestone that I'm checking off. You know, I get to play in another good atmosphere that I dreamed about playing there when I was a kid. You know, I seen these games on TV, these cold games, and you know, it's fun. It's football, so I'm trying to go have some fun on Sunday night. Get these guys to go have some fun and win a football game. Any final questions for Dalvin? Kobe. Hey, Dalvin. Uh, it's uh, you look at their record, and it's been tough to beat the Packers this season. Only three teams have done it this year. 
beginning of the season, the game where Aaron Rodgers was out and the one that you guys won. So what made it so effective? What made your team so effective last time that you could potentially carry over into this one, you think? I don't think it was nothing special. Like we didn't do nothing like out of the ordinary. We went out there and just stuck to what we do. Um, just played good football. You know, with Aaron Rodgers, you gotta play clean football. We can't have those mistakes, you know, that's gonna put us behind and do stuff like that. So we gotta go out there and play a clean game. We gotta kinda control the football, keep Aaron right off the field. And, you know, I think, you know, we do those things, we'll be in the, in the right place to go ahead and succeed and win the football game. Hey, Dalvin, if I could just jump in. The just announced they put Adam Thielen on injured reserve, so he's, uh, He's done, you know, for the season. What are your thoughts now on moving forward, not having Adam? Yeah, first off, you know, thoughts to my brother, prayers to my brother. Hope he heal up good. Hope he, you know, get everything intact, get it right. Um, since I got here, he's been a true brother, like a true meaning of a brother, like not even football related, just just being there for me. So I'm going to do the same for him, you know, whatever he needs. Um, but we're going to miss him out there on the football field. He, he's that vocal guy. You know, he's that guy that bring that juice every day. You could expect the same Adam every day. And, you know, I'm going to miss him. Uh, I, it really haven't been too many games that I touched the field without him. So since I got here and, you know, just just that relationship I'm going to miss on the field, just having him out there. Last question to Craig. You know, to follow up on that, just what Adam means when you guys get to the red zone and like all, all the touchdowns he scored down there, uh, how, how does the team adjust to, to offset that loss? Yeah, he's, he's a magnet when we get down there. I always tell him that. The ball always seemed to find him in the end zone. Um, but we're going to miss that a lot. We're going to miss that in that red zone. And that's, that, and that's why in the NFL, it's the next guy mentality. we got to have some younger guys step up. Um, we're gonna have some 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 guys make some plays that that nobody's not gonna think make plays. So we gotta have some some younger guys step up and make some plays in in the, in, the, in the shoes of Adam. And that's all we've got today. More coming tomorrow. Matthew Collar should be back with you. I'm Sam Ekstrom. Thanks so much for listening, and an early Happy New Year to you.